0: Good evening listeners, another episode of uh, Justice Tech Pro's podcast, and this is number 45 I believe. So far I'm very uh, pleased with the way the episodes are going, I think they roll into each other nicely, and I also believe uh, what I wanted to convey from inception is getting out there. I think each episode kind of, you know, covers a different topic that is interesting, and um, I think again they all kind of mesh pretty well, and if you listen to them, whether you listen to them in order, or you don't listen to them in order, or you're a new listener, just, you know, diving in, after, uh, I think, one episode, you'll get the gist of what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to cover, and what I'm trying to kind of analyze and just expose, or really just talk about, just have a conversation about. Uh, listeners are growing, subscribers are growing on uh, different platforms. So that's a positive thing. I mean, it's always good to see that. At least I know that uh, people are taking interest. And as I always say, you know, if it just enlightens somebody and it, it allows a future juror or a current juror to look at things a little differently and do their job in the sense that they make sure, you know, they're following The rules as far as innocent to proven guilty And making sure that the burden of proof Is on the the government or the state And they're aware of certain things that go on in the background And everything's not always as it appears You know, all those things All those things will help They'll help a defendant kind of, you know, make Not make certain Because that's pretty hard to do But at least it'll help a defendant Get a better shot of receiving a fair trial and I've uh, been getting a lot of positive feedback, emails, actually got a couple voicemails at my office, um, a gentleman in uh, Iowa, uh, he, he left a, a good message, a nice message that he's enjoying the show, he's enjoying the content, so that's always good to hear the feedback. You know, whether good or bad, I always like to hear the feedback, uh, at least so I know things I'm doing right, things I'm doing wrong, and at least it'll give me an idea direction-wise what the listeners... Uh, you know, what people want to hear or don't want to hear. But I think so far things are going pretty well. So with that said, I'm going to dive into today's topic, which is going to be about, um it's going to be a little bit of a play on what I touched on in the previous episode, which is how it is difficult and challenging to argue and overcome a lie. You know, when you have... Uh, Last episode I was discussing how it's hard to overcome a lie uh, from an informant or a a witness and you're trying to prove that what they're saying is lying. And today's similar in the sense that I happen to be reading some old um, trial, trial records and some old correspondence and I notice unfortunately sometimes whether it's intentional or not on the opposite side on the government side or the state side, they'll try to change the intentions of what somebody was saying to mean whatever they are looking for to mean to fit a narrative. And let me expand on that a bit. For example, there was an old case, and in the case, the defendant was actually caught on the phone and the, and all the uh, jury heard the, the part of the tape that they were playing or the part of the um, transcript that they pointed to that they wanted to bring attention to, the defendant was talking to somebody on the phone, and they referred to something as green stuff, and they asked another individual on the recording, uh, you know, did you get the green stuff, or did the green stuff come yet? It, had, it was something along those lines. Now, what they tried doing, they, they tried in st- stating that the green stuff that the defendant was referring to was money. Now, when you think about it, if somebody's trying to use code, you know, as they always try to um, convey that the person's using code and they're talking about something else, and they tried insinuating, or not even insinuating, outright saying that the green stuff this individual was discussing was money. Now, I don't know anybody who's going to use green stuff to this. if you're describing money. I mean, that's pretty obvious if you're trying to use code. So lo and behold, that was the narrative they were pushing that he was, you know, this person was talking about money and uh, that's what he meant when he said green stuff. Now the reality of it is the person was discussing a job, a uh, construction job, and he was asking the individual on the phone about the green stuff and what he meant by that was at the time it was a construction job and they were spraying insulation. And there's different kinds of insulation when you're building, you know, a commercial building, or uh, I believe this case was a commercial building. And they they'll come in, and you know, the uh, subcontractor will spray spray the uh, insulation. It's not like something you put up. Um, a lot of times, you know, there's like the styrofoam type, or there's the pink stuff. <laughs> for lack of a better term, that they that they use for the insulation. This was like a spray where they'll spray it in between the beams and they'll spray it in, you know, in the walls, and it was green and colored. And that's what he was referring to. He was actually talking about the job and spraying the green stuff. Um, now, to prove that is difficult because you're going back to a conversation and obviously the defense is trying to inform the jury, trying to inform the court that the green stuff was insulation and they tried to set the... Tone and set the example, and set the situation. Explain that you know the defendant was talking about a job, and he was asking if that subcontractor had shown up and started using, uh, using the green insulation rather than say insulation. He referred to it as the green stuff, and um, you know was just inquiring about that. And that was the segment they had, and it was a quick conversation. You know, the, uh, from what I remember and what I was reading, the person on the other line just pretty much said, "Yeah, you know that was all done." And that was the end of it. So, obviously, if you're having a quick dialogue, you're not going to get into, you know, if you're just trying to find the status on something, you're not going to get into um, dissecting what you're talking about and say, well, by green stuff, I mean the green insulation was on the job. Sometimes it's a quick phone call if you're checking on something. And my point is not to so much get into that specific conversation. It's more just to show what takes place, you know, you have a quick call, what a defendant, the defendant brings up a term that could kind of be challenged, and could be used to twist, to mean um, something else, to prove for the governments, and to prove their case, to try to say, you know, it's some kind of legal activity, or they're referring to money, or they're referring to something that has to do with the case, when in actuality, It has nothing to do with any kind of criminal charges. It's an honest question about, in that case, you know, an honest question about a job and what was going on, the stage, the stage in which the job was at. So my point just being using that as an example, and that's just one example. I've seen it happen time and again, but I thought that was a good example because it just happened to be the way they described the item could be up. For interpretation, when somebody doesn't know the context in which it's being used, you could use that, you know, the government, the state could use that to paint a different picture to the jury, an entirely different picture. And that's just such a dangerous thing, and it's so hard to prove the opposite, you know, to prove the truth on that. Now it's a he said, she said, or he said, he said type situation, and you're going back and forth and you're giving your points to Uh, Try to defend it and to try to explain the situation and to try to give it context But it really just boils down to who is the jury going to believe and who's the court going to believe And unfortunately a lot of the times the court will side with the state or with the you know the government and they'll um, And they'll just take it for what the government is the explanation that the government's offering They're not going to give the benefit of the doubt that it is uh, what the defense is trying to make it to be, it's what the state's trying to make it be, and and it's it puts people really in a bad predicament once something like that is done. And how do you overcome that? You know, I don't know what the answer is to overcome that because when you're on calls and you're talking about certain things, you're not going to be that detailed. You know, you are going to some. We all know. I mean, think about conversations you have, and sometimes you'll refer to something or you or you'll say, "Did you take care of that thing?" You could be talking about. You know, uh, feeding the dogs. You could be talking about anything. But when it's vague, it could be used against you. And it could be used where the ball is put in your court now. And you have to prove what you really meant. And that's a hard thing to overcome. and And I think I wanted to kind of talk about that. To, again, let potential jurors know, let the public know that it's not always that cut and dry. You can't always, you know, just give the benefit of the doubt to the government or to, you know, the prosecutor. You have to remember in your head that the burden of proof is on them. They have to prove, which, you know, I I drive home all the time, but it's not my words, it's constitution words, beyond a reasonable doubt that this person's guilty. So something like that should almost be thrown away. Even if you don't want to give it to the defense, if you don't want to give it to their meaning or their interpretation, you really shouldn't give it to the to the state or whoever's given the case, it should be clearly defined. Before you come to a conclusion, you should have a clear-cut answer in your head as to what was being discussed. And if it's vague, you know, too bad. You know, the burden of proof is on them. It just, it's not going to work that way. It it almost reminds me a little bit of insurance. I'm also in the insurance field. And in insurance, there's almost like a rule that if it's not clear-cut, you know, if it's not laid out in your policy... And if it's not spelled out in your policy, very clear as day, any anything that's vague or anything that's unclear, anything that's, uh, you know, not made for the insured to understand it 100%, they always rule in favor of the insured because they, they look at it in the insurance industry that it is complicated and things have to be black and white and it can't be something that's left for interpretation. And if it is, the insured is going to be the one to benefit from that. So obviously that rule is not going to carry over where the defendant would benefit from that. But what they should do at the very least, as a juror, if something like that comes up, you really can't give it no credence. You know, you have to just uh, dismiss it. And I think it's very important for the public to be aware of that and for jurors to be aware of that, that if something is unclear and something isn't that black and white, they can't always assume that whatever... Narrative is being given, whatever definitions being given or rationale is being given is a legitimate one or is an accurate one. They should want more uh, defined results and they should want more details. And if it's not there, then you have to dismiss that part of the argument. Be, you know, it all goes back to the rules. You know, the rules of the burden of proof, rules of beyond the reasonable doubt. You have to always refer back to that. And if that's not being upheld and if that threshold is not being met, you really have to dismiss it because they have all the you know advantages in their court when they're building the case as far as time, money, resources. So when they come when the time comes for trial and the time comes to start facing these charges and these accusations, you know everything should be pretty much buttoned up and everything should be very cut and dry. And if it's not, and if it's unclear, I I believe, you know, as a juror, then they they have to use their direction and they have to use their responsibility and the task that they were assigned to not give it any kind of credibility. And I've seen it done time and again. I've talked about it in the past. I've seen it done in um uh in audio conversations as it relates to the transcripts where words are which is a little differently where Words are transcribed different than what they ac- actually are and then the defense has to prove that they're inaccurate. This is you're taking a statement and actually changing what it was meant to be and altering it to make it sound more sinister or to make it fit the charges at hand. And it's something that, you know, people need to be uh, in tune to and they, they have to pay attention to that because it does come up time and again and I've seen it come up on many different cases different levels where they'll, you know, that's an easy thing to do when you think about it. To say somebody's talking in code is very easy. I mean, and it's very dangerous. You know, we could be talking about the weather. And if they come in and try to say, well, every time he says it's sunny outside, he's really saying, you know, he's going to rob a bank tomorrow. I mean, if they start changing the words and they start playing with meanings... And jurors start buying into that. Think about how dangerous it is. You could play any tape you want about any conversation and make it mean whatever you want if you don't have to back it up with some kind of legitimate source, support. You know, you could just twist it to mean whatever you want and have it fit whatever the charges are. And that's a dangerous game to play, and it's being allowed. I mean, it's being done, and jurors are falling for it. And why do jurors fall for it? I think it all goes back to... The many things that were discussed as far as, you know, when you walk into that courtroom, unfortunately, the public perception is you're guilty and you have to prove your innocence and everything that comes out of the prosecutor's mouth or, you know, law enforcement on the case uh, mouth is, is um, factual. And again, maybe sometimes it's not done intentionally. I always say this, there, there's prosecutors out there, there's... Law enforcement, they're just doing their job. They're trying to, you know, solve a case. They're trying to prove it. And, you know, some are doing it in an honest fashion. And some are, they may believe certain things. And that, you can't help if that's what they believe. But when it's done intentionally, and it's done where they know the truth, and yet they're changing it for the purpose of winning the case because of, you know, that whole philosophy of win at all costs and the ends justify the means, that's really a uh, serious, serious problem. And it's a serious infraction on every citizen. And it, it threatens the justice process, the, you know, overall. It really th- threatens the whole entire concept. I mean, if that's the road we're starting to travel, where you could have things interpreted and use um, the excuse, well, they're talking in code, this means that, black means white, you know, green means blue. It really, really does get into some uh, into some sticky territory that could have some horrible consequences. So it's something that I wanted to kind of talk about and just put it in people's head and just have them understand that these things are done. And, you know, maybe just try to... When you have an, an understanding of what could be done, it'll just give you a different way of looking at your case when you're trying to build it. You know, you could anticipate some routes that'll be taken and try to counteract that based on things that may be unclear and things that need a uh, an examined way of looking at it and a more thorough way of explaining it you know so the defendant may in their head think that it's a harmless conversation and it may come back to bite them because they know the truth but unfortunately it doesn't it's not conveyed that way when the tapes played you know it's it's not clear and a defendant may not even be worried about it because they know what took place so it may not even get the defense team or anybody's attention. But you have to circle back to that and you have to make sure these things are clear cut when trial comes, when you're putting in pre-trial motions. You want to really drive that point home and clarify what means what, you know, in various, various conversations that may have taken place that are being used as part of the discovery or part of the trial exhibits. So I wanted to kind of uh, dissect that a little bit. And, and and I think I've done that. I think uh, everybody's got the picture of what I'm trying, you know, with that example and things that take place. And that kind of leads me to another another topic that was sticking in my mind. Um, you know, coming from the defense side, a lot of times you see, and I understand it when you look at it from a diplomacy type of point of view or a political type of view when you're playing politics. But I got to say, it's not a good it's not a good picture for the defendant. A lot of times, I'll see it play out in court, where you have the defense team and you have your defend, uh, your attorney, and and they're very, you know, I don't know how to put it, but I guess like buddy buddy with the other side, you know, and they're and they're laughing and they're joking and and they're, you know, socializing with the other side. Now, listen, I understand everybody's doing their job, and I understand you have to do things a certain way, and I understand you have to make nice, and I totally get that as far as on a professional level, but I think what some attorneys fail to realize are defendants are fighting for their life, and you may be friendly with that person on the other side, but when a defendant sees that play out in the courtroom, and, you know, that has a lot to do with me. You know, I I, I try to pick attorneys that really don't play that game in the courtroom. I don't care, obviously, what they do, but if I was a defendant or it's for a friend of mine, or it's for a family member. You, you want, you know, an attorney who's there on your side. You don't want to walk into a courtroom and see this, you know, intimate socializing and this laughing and this, you know. Um, it's hard to explain it, but I think you could get the point and you could kind of visualize it. You're there defending your life. And if you're looking and your lawyer is chatting it up and laughing and having a good time with a team that's trying to end your life basically trying to put you behind bars trying to ruin your family ruin your finances it doesn't leave a good taste in any defendant's mouth and i don't i haven't come across one person who is who was a defendant is a defendant who appreciates that you know they they usually just say it is what it is you know and that's just you know how it takes place but not one likes that and and there are a few attorneys who who don't do that you know and those are the ones me personally that I would want to align with, you know. Those are. The, I mean, we're we're in that courtroom. You're pretty much on a battlefield. You know, you're battling out. One side's trying to put your client away, and you know, you're trying to keep you 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 prove your client's innocence or prove your case, whatever it may be. That's not the time, really, for joking around, for making friends. You know, a defendant doesn't want to see that. And I think too many times, certain attorneys aren't sensitive to that fact, you know, and I think they forget, w- really, that there's people's lives at stake, and there's family members there, and, you know, they don't need to see that, you know, it's it's something where, again, I understand the pre- professional aspect of it, if you're on opposite sides, but you have a good working professional relationship, that's fine, but there's a time and place for everything, you know, I think uh, they need to be more sensitive, the, def- the defense counsel, to perception and how their clients see those things and you know they'll always use um, I don't want to say an excuse but they'll, they'll use that they'll say well you know it's not personal but but it kind of is personal I mean I don't know how much more personal you get than somebody trying to put you away especially if you you know you're innocent uh, I, I, you know to me that's very personal so you know if, if for a defendant they really don't want to witness that they don't want to see that and far too many times I see that go on, and I, I just can't relate to that. I mean, you're there to to defend your client, you know, defend your client. You're not there to to socialize and and uh, play nice. I mean, you're just not. You could be respectful, you could be professional, but you don't need to be you don't need to be uh, best friends, you know. While that's going on, while you're defending your case, as I said, if afterwards you want to get on the phone and chat, whatever it is, I don't know is it my way of doing things? No. I mean, if I'm defending somebody, you know, I really don't want to, I don't want to be friendly at all with the other side. I want to fight. I don't want to be distracted. And I want my client, if I was an attorney, I'd want my client to know, you know, I'm all team defense, you know, and I'm there. And the same way they're going to war, we're going to war. And it's going to get, you know, it's going to get, it's going to get intense. And during that time, it's it's not the time for uh, friendships, and it's not the time for that. And I see I see it play out time and again in a lot of different uh, cases. And I, I just uh, I have a hard time wrapping my head around why why um, certain attorneys aren't more in tune to that and more sensitive to that and realize that it's just not the time nor the, nor the place for something like that and I, and I give a lot of attorneys credit there's attorneys who don't do that you know they work in the court they walk into the courtroom and it's all business you know there's a few attorneys that come to mind that are like that and they're there to battle and they're there to defend you and that gains a lot of respect on the defendant side because the defendant obviously feels strongly and they they're there to win. they're not there to to see those things take place. I think that's almost like it could almost give off the effect that, You know, that the uh, attorney isn't truly 100% on the defendant's side. And it's just not something you'd really want to do. You know, uh, they're going to do it anyway. (laughs) They're not going to, you know, the ones who do it, I doubt, you know, they're going to, you know, uh, take my advice on that. I'm sure they're going to blow it off. Say this guy has no idea what he's talking about. That's the way it works. But to me, it doesn't have to work that way. You you know, you're there to defend somebody. You're there, there to fight for your client. And that's what it should be. It's a fight. At that time, it's a fight. When it's all over, whatever, you know, relationship you want to have, fine. But when you're in the courtroom, it's a battle. And it should be treated accordingly. And I don't I, I don't feel, I, I mean, from the defendants I've sp- spoken to in the past, from clients I've spoken to, they don't appreciate it either. So it's not like I'm just making this up out of thin air and this is my only, uh, my perception of things. This is a general perception from the defendant side. And they all, everyone's pretty much in uh, unison whenever I talk about it. And that's not to say that each side cannot respect one another. And, you know, as long as everybody's professional, there should always be a mutual respect. You know, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, you know, there's certain things that don't need to play out. And uh, there's certain things that uh, the, team, the defense team should be aware of because, you know, Sometimes the defendant sees something like that and it changes morale, you know, and it brings things down. And then, and then they almost have a little bit of an internal grudge and it changes the relationship with the attorney. You know, it could have a lot of after effects that you're not even accounting for. So I, I just don't see, I don't think there's any room for that kind of um, back and forth uh, in a courtroom in a trial when, when you know, the opposite side is really trying to do damage I think you just kind of do your best and, and let the defendant know you're 100% in the game. You know, you're laser focused, you're there to fight like a, a pit bull, and that's it. You know, there's nothing that's going to deter that. And when a defendant doesn't see that, it do, it is disheartening. And and it is a bit uh, demoralizing and it can aggravate, you know, people. You know, people get very turned off by that. I, I've seen individuals look to change counsel based on that because they just feel you know that they're not really on their side they're looking to play politics and you know that's not what 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 the most i would say the majority of the public want they don't want that they want um they want to go in there in the same way that that you know the state of the government is looking to put you away. they want to show that they have a team that's united that believes in their client they're not there to make friends and they're there to fight and i think that kind of sets the tone and, you know, following up with that, the whole relationship thing could really carry over to the jury. Now, a lot of the times, the jury's not called in yet uh, before trial actually. I shouldn't say a lot of times, uh, all the time. The jury isn't called in until the trial actually starts, so they don't see the back-and-forth banter between the defense and the prosecutor. But where it can influence the um, the jury is, you know, I, I've seen times where you have a judge who is during the proceedings, you know, their whole demeanor is one way with the prosecution team and one way with the defense team. You know, that you could tell by the way they talk, you could tell by their uh, facial tics or their facial nods or anything that they're doing, uh, if they're agreeing with the prosecution or they're smiling when the prosecution goes or they're nodding. And then when the defense goes, you know, you get a scowl, you get an eye roll, Uh, you get looking down at the desk, not paying attention. That all really plays out to the jury. And, uh, you know, a lot of it ties into uh, how I would talk about how there should be cameras in the courtroom because the public's not picking up on that and they're not understanding. You know, if you're reading the minutes, obviously you don't see any of those tells. And if a jury picks up on that, you know, if a jury picks up on a judge being one way, with the prosecution side and nodding and agreeing and smiling and being more of a, having more pleasantries, when they're interacting, or they're ruling, or they're um, paying attention, or they're you know listening to the argument on the prosecutor side, and they have a totally different demeanor when the defense is going, that influences a jury. Uh, whether somebody wants to believe it or not, it does. You know, a jury. One thing with jurors that I notice they're very in tune to what the judge is doing. Even when the defense is going and, and giving their case and giving their arguments or cross-examining or the is going, the jury a lot of the times is locked in to what the judge is doing. They're watching his or her reaction. They're watching how they rule. They're watching their body language. And th- just for that alone, that tells me it plays a big part. Because for them to be so focused on the judge, when in reality they really shouldn't even be looking at the judge, but it's human nature, I guess, you know, and the judge uh, always sits highest up. So it's your, you know, line of sight wise, uh, somebody's eyes will be drawn to that. And when they're focused on that and there's somebody being cross examined and their eyes are going back and forth between the, say, the witness and they're going back to the judge and they're almost seeking the judge's approval, you know, if the judge is, is rolling. Uh, their eyes, or the judge is nodding, that's all going to play, whether it's conscious or not conscious, uh, it's all going to play, if they're doing it intentionally or not, into their decision-making process. You know, that's all going to be in there. They're going to revert back to that when they're deliberating. They're going to flash back to how the judge reacted to certain things. And that's another thing. I don't know how you stop it. Maybe a lot of the times the judge isn't doing it intentionally, but, uh, you know, if you did had, um if you, you know, if there was... Uh, these proceedings were recorded, possibly those could be almost an analysis for a judge to look back and see how they presided over a case and then work on those things. But I see it happen a lot and there's so many so many little actions that take place during a trial and during the proceedings that many are, are unaware of that are affecting the trial and they wind up having a a, a Great impact and sometimes, unfortunately, a devastating effect. And those all add up. You know, all these little things add up to a defendant not receiving a fair trial. And they may not sound like much. They may sound insignificant when you break them down one by one. But when you add them all up and you compile them, you know, it grows. The amount of influence grows and the amount of these things working against the defendant grows and it impacts the trial. It impacts the whole aura of the trial, it impacts the whole demeanor of the trial, and uh, it sets the tone. That's really what I just try to talk about on here, you know, I just try to talk about these different things from a, a personal observation standpoint, you know, where I could point out some of these items that take place that maybe, you know, when you're serving a jury, on a jury, it's your first time, or you may be nervous, you're not, you're not really, understanding the proceedings so you can't look at things from a different perspective. So I try to I try to offer an outside looking in type narrative, you know, and, and try to bring attention to these little items that take place. So for somebody who hasn't been called yet to jury and they're going to serve on a jury or if somebody's currently serving on a jury... They're aware of these things, and they're in tune because maybe they can almost snap themselves out of it, you know. And they could, they could remind themselves, okay, don't pay attention to the judge right now, don't look at what he or she is doing, don't look for any acknowledgement, don't look for any affirmation, don't look for any disappointment. Just focus on the facts. Stay, stay on target, you know. And that's what I'm, I'm trying to to convey here. That's what I'm trying to focus on. Little tips, little little items that can help defendants that could maybe, you know, have a lawyer look at it from uh, a, a uh, average citizen's point of view or somebody from the outside looking in. You know, even when I'm, you know, I'm working on the case and I'm working on a defense team, you know, I'm an individual first and foremost, and I've seen both sides of it. You know, I've dealt with it on a personal level with family members, I've dealt with it with clients. So I'm able to kind of look at the whole picture and analyze what's going on. And, and I'm able to separate myself, I'm able to sep- separate the personal feelings I have on something and just look at it at, at the grand scheme of things and look if things are playing out fairly and look at what's taking place, what's maybe blocking somebody from getting a fair trial. And how the defendant interprets things. And that's really what I try to explain. And what I try to dive into on the show. And I've had a lot of people tell me, well, I never looked at something that way. Or, you know what, I've learned a lot of different things. I didn't know what op- uh, you know, the system worked in that way. I didn't know uh, defendants weren't allowed to do this. I didn't know the judge had this much influence. You know, So I, I know I'm on the right track with that. And I, I feel... You know, I get my point across. Maybe sometimes I don't explain it as well as I'd like to. But I do try to dive into it without being boring about it and without, um, you know, just uh, going on and on about the same thing. I don't want to lose the audience. I try to just talk about it like I would have a discussion with a friend or with a colleague or a co-worker or an employee. I try to just break it down because I find, you know, people learn... And understand things and grasp things much better when it's a dialogue rather than a, a seminar I know if I'm taking a seminar sometimes I, I zone out I thought if it's all done in an instructional manner you know human nature sometimes you just zone out but if it's done like a conversation I don't know you seem to pay more attention you know it's like when you're talking to your friends or you're talking to your family and you're just having a conversation you're in tune to it you're paying attention. So that's the style I try to bring to the podcast. I talk to the microphone as if I'm talking to you guys one on one and we're having a you know a back and forth and I try to just give my view on things. And these are all things that I believe the public, jurors, everybody, you know throughout the whole US should be aware of uh, that goes on because I, not only do I believe, but I know for a fact, a lot of individuals who've never experienced it, really have no idea what takes place and how the system works and how one-sided it can be. And today's current climate, uh, one of the positive aspects that's happening is um, a spotlight being put on justice reform. And that's very important, you know, because there there are a lot of flaws within it. And in in conjunction with podcasts, with people speaking, with um, individuals talking about the injustice they have faced, information coming in. You know, you could take all that together and you could understand that changes need to be made on a lot of different levels. And the more society starts to recognize that, I do believe as time goes by, certain reforms will be implemented and will take effect that'll start getting those scales back to being level. Uh, Because as I've always said, right now, from what I've seen and what plays out, the scales are highly, highly tilted. And we need to do what we can. We need to do our part to tip them back where they're just level. I'm not saying they should be on the defendant's side. We just want a, a level playing field. That's all I think everybody wants. You just want to make sure that when you're faced with the system, you're going to get a fair trial. In the s- most simplistic way of putting it, that is all I think... The objective of everyone is just to get a fair trial, regardless of who you are, regardless of any stereotypes, regardless of uh, any kind of labels, regardless of race, regardless of anything. You just want to be sure that you're going to get a fair trial. So doing things that, you know, we can to make certain of that is important, whether it's talking about it, whether it's analyzing it, whether it's debating it, all of those things will be part of a movement to try to put things back in order, to put them where they need to be so every U.S. citizen that's entitled to a fair trial receives it. And that's going to continue to be my goal on here. That's going to be continue to be, you know, for as long as I decide to keep doing this. I'm going to uh, talk about things that I believe could help people that are interesting and that I believe um, the public may not be aware of. And that's it for now. Um, I had a few other things I may start talking about on uh, the other episode, my my next episode. A, a few other things where it becomes to uh, defense attorneys and what's proper conduct and what's kind of odd. And again, it's it's my interpretation of proper conduct. So I'm just giving my opinion on certain things like that. So I know there's going to be attorneys on you know that are going to listen and say again he don't know what he's talking about. That's not the way it works. He's not a lawyer. And yes, I'm not a lawyer and I'm, I'm i'm content with that. I'm good at what I, you know, do. I'm fine in that in that field. But I am going to give my opinion. I'm going to give um the view of how defendants look at things and how the public could could see certain things. And if you like it, great. And if you don't, equally is great. You know, that's that's how it goes. I'm not the type of person that I need affirmation from from anybody. I say what I have to say when I want to say it. And people who like it, that's that's awesome. We have something in common. People who don't You don't got to listen. That's the benefit of a podcast. You know, you could just go to the next one. So that's it for today. Wish everybody well. Until next time.